Hi, this is my dad's podcast, Power Time. What's up, Power Players? Welcome back to the Power Time Podcast. I'm your host and guide, Tom Tate, and this is an audio journey through the history of Nintendo, one issue of Nintendo Power at a time. So this episode should be the episode that covers volume 23 of Nintendo Power, which features a really cool game, uh, Power Blade. I don't know if you've played this before, but it was a ton of fun. Uh, This week has become kind of a logistical nightmare for me uh, between work and kids and a ton of commitments that just kind of popped up out of nowhere. So I wasn't able to fully produce that episode to the quality that I think you deserve as the listener. So what I'm going to do today is air an awesome interview that I did with Nintendo Force writer and all-around great content creator, Tony Ponce. Tony and I had a great conversation. We talk about growing up in Japan. I didn't grow up in Japan, but Tony did. So there's a cool story there. We talk about the Famicom. We talk about some lesser known NES titles uh, or Famicom titles. We talk about Power Blazer, which is the Japanese version of Power Blade. So very relevant uh, to the upcoming proper issue. We talk about Nintendo Force. And of course, we talk about Mega Man, which is one of our favorite franchises. So this would have originally been a DLC episode that I would have released on Tuesday. Uh, But since I wasn't able to produce that Power Blade episode, uh, you're hearing it now, kind of slightly out of order. I'll put together that episode, finish it up this weekend, release that on Tuesday, and then I hopefully, fingers crossed, uh, we will get the Vice Project Doom issue uh, complete by Thursday. So we'll be all caught up uh, for season two of the show. Uh, I'm going to roll right into the interview with Tony. I didn't do an intro. We just kind of bantered for a little bit back and forth, and then we just kind of hopped right into questions. Uh, So it might feel a little abrupt, but we're going to jump right in. I hope that you enjoy this. I had a lot of fun uh, with this conversation and uh, excited to bring it to you. I've caught a lot of your writing over the years, uh, Mm -hmm. I guess starting with Destructoid. Um, And now I'm following along with all the great work that you and the team are doing at Nintendo Force. Oh, thank you. Really, really awesome. Um, as a Nintendo Power-focused uh, podcast, uh, it's so cool to see that the legacy is kind of being carried on. And that also, it's really cool that print is still a thing. Um, <laughs> I, I have a four-year-old son, and to be able to kind of introduce him to what uh, it feels like to get a magazine in the mail uh, is something that you know we obviously grew up with. Uh, but I feel like the upcoming generations won't have that uh, unless you know people like... Uh, you and the team at Nintendo Force are doing what you do. So thank you. So I'm making a huge assumption that you're probably somewhere in your 30s. Is that 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 is accurate? correct. That is a, a safe assumption, yes. Oh, okay, I'm, cool. I'm uh, currently so I, 32. Okay, awesome. Yeah, that's perfect. Because as I mentioned, uh, we're going through every, ep- every issue of Nintendo Power from 1991. So for my first question, I kind of wanted to kind of see if you can take yourself back to 1991. So All the, right. the Sega Genesis, it was gaining popularity. Uh, in the United States, all the Super Nintendo details, they started kind of trickling out month after month. Uh, and then finally, it was released later in the year. Uh, but I believe that I've read that you grew up in Japan. Is that correct? Yes. Yes, I did. I grew up in uh, Yokohama. Uh, we moved there in uh, 1986. 
Uh, okay. Dad, um, he played for the uh, Nippon Baseball League, and he played there for four seasons. And so while we were there, we were in Yokohama, and I grew up and uh, I went, attended an international school. They spoke English, so that was good. I did not pick up on Japanese. Okay. Unfortunately, it was a, a huge issue at the time. I had this big ear infection. Okay. And I was being exposed to three separate languages, uh, English at school, uh, Spanish in the house, in the apartment, and Japanese everywhere else. And it was causing a lot of confusion. So the doctor told my parents, try to limit his language exposure. So the easiest thing to do, of course, would just be cut out Spanish in the house and speak English all the time. And, uh, and so now I'm trying to learn Japanese, but okay, cool. And, and you're process you're, and you're residing in Japan now, correct? Yes. I moved back two years ago. Wait, wait, no, wait, hold <laughs> I don't know why my dates. Yeah. It was last year, uh, last okay, cool. year in March. And I've been working as an ALT and assistant language teacher at this one company. Uh, they do just they, they station a bunch of native English speaker, speakers around the country and they teach the kids how to speak proper English to the best of their ability, which in a lot of cases is not a lot of ability. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, the only requirement to get this job is to have a four year degree, not necessarily in English, not necessarily in teaching. You could have a, a degree in underwater basket weaving. And as long as it's a four year bachelor's. You're in. You're qualified. Awesome. <laughs> so let's try to uh, kind of take ourselves back to 1991. You're in Japan. So I'd love to hear, you know, if you have any That was around the time memories. when uh, we, uh, we just moved to the States. So okay, cool. that'll be like the transition period. Uh, everything was still Famicom for me. I know the, the Super Famicom was out. Well, actually, no, scratch that. I didn't know... At the time, it wasn't until I came into the States that I became aware of the Super Nintendo. Um, but I had, I didn't really know much outside of, ooh, the Famicom is great. It's fantastic. I love it. And then we moved to the States. And then I go to friends' houses and they're like, what's that? That's a Super Nintendo. What? Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I guess you brought your Famicom back. Yeah, I brought it back with me, and it was always a centerpiece whenever I had friends over. I'd show them my machine. I'd tell them about all these games that I played years before they did. And uh, yeah, I, that's I awesome. played Super Mario 3. That came sure. out like, two years before it came out in the States. That's pretty exciting. Did you have access to, I, I guess, you know, 1989-ish uh, hmm. Nintendo Power was released? Did you have access to that kind of thing in Japan, or were you exposed to... Uh, Japanese magazines or anything? I was I was still a little too young to sure. be a like an in depth reader. Sure. Um, you know, I went to the stores frequently just to browse around their wares and tell my dad, okay, that's the one I want. It, it's like going to a candy shop because, as you're aware, the Famicom cartridges are nice and colorful. Yep. There's no standard color. In fact, there really isn't uh, there, there's a standard casing but it's not mandatory if a company wanted to create their own casing they could and a lot of companies did do that i know namco did that with uh, their baseball games mm -hmm. um i believe like uh, taito did it as well 
they weren't the standard Famicom cartridge shapes or sizes. They're these like unique shapes, unique forms. And but they're always different colors, blue, green, whatever. And you go to the store and you see them all lined up on the shelves and it's just it's like bubblegum, taffy, candy canes just hanging sure, on the walls. Sure. And it, it gives it a, a little bit more of a, a magical mystique. Was I'd it say going to the to like Toys R Us here, where you just see slips of paper hanging on the yeah, wall? Yeah, the the wall of slips. Yeah, the wall of slips. You just that. just yeah. snag them all. <laughs> and the only time you saw color, that was a bad thing because that was usually the out of stock, right? Uh, the out of stock slip, right? But yeah, I, was it challenging to uh, really get into games if you weren't speaking the native language uh, for the Famicom titles? Well, on the plus side, a lot of Famicom games had plenty of English. Sure. Because English is, I mean, they still love English to this day. It's, you know, you have uh, weeaboos in the West. I guess yep. they have American booze. What, what, okay. Whatever they okay. call them. Sure. Yeah. I don't whatever know if they the have a word for them. Nomenclature would be. Yeah. But uh, they love English, and if they can pepper their games or their media with English as much as they can, they will. And the few times there was Japanese text, uh, you know, it made no difference. I didn't have to read it. It wasn't mandatory to understand it. The only games that required me to read Japanese, the only one that I owned that was was like absolutely mandatory, I believe, was... Um, an SD Gundam game. Okay. It was uh, a turn-based strategy game. I didn't get past the first map because I just could not understand what was going on. I, I yeah. mashed buttons and things happened. But aside from that, it was smooth sailing. I didn't play RPGs. I didn't get into RPGs until much later. So it was a lot of platformers, uh, a lot of sports games, uh, Double Dragon, Battletoads. Yeah, of course. Sure. All the greats. Yeah, totally. And Mega Man, of course, I'm sure. And of course, Mega Man. Yeah. Rock. So I know I I know you're a huge fan of the franchise. Mm. I just released uh, an episode on Mega Man three. And uh, I'm always curious when I talk to Mega Man fans, uh, where does three sit for you uh, in terms of kind of ranking the titles? Uh, Ranking um, aside from the top few slots because uh, I know for absolute certainty that my top favorite would be Mega Man 2 right below that would be Mega Man X okay and then I guess my third would be Mega Man 6 but, awesome. be- but below that it's a, a free-for-all um, Mega Man 3 it's a great game I love it uh, I don't love it as much as two, but it's a solid game, and if people want to say it's their favorite, hey, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna fight them over it. It's a good choice. It's a big game. In in one of the issues of Nintendo Power in this particular run uh, in 1991, there's a line that uh, Capcom was debating whether or not Mega Man Four was going to uh, just come straight to the. Uh, Super Nintendo. Uh, so, uh, you know, obviously I think with the success of Mega Man 2 and 3, they decided to just serialize it and then we saw 4, 5, and 6. But could you imagine a world where Mega Man 4, 5, and 6 were not released and they just moved on to the X series? Well, you could sort of say that the NES Mega Mans are split into 
two trilogies. There's the original trilogy, the one, two, and three, sure. and then you had the the sixteen bit years where Mega Man stayed rooted firmly in that eight bit space. And I remember when the fourth game came out, and even Nintendo Power and people in the schoolyard were saying, "Really? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> isn't that enough?" For me, it wasn't enough. Uh, at that point, that was that was ninety one when that game first came out, and we had already moved into the states, and so. After we moved back, the only times I would get new games would be in those few occasions where my dad would return to Japan for like a special uh, invitation trip where he does like plays like a special All-Stars game or something. And he would always return with two or three games in tow. Because that's the only way I can expand sure. my Famicom library at that point. Yeah, yeah. And that's how I was eventually able to get four, five, and six in addition to some other games like Battletoads and... Uh, and that Gundam game I mentioned. Cool. And so it didn't bother me as much as other people that it wasn't on the Super Nintendo. I preferred it that way because I had a Famicom. Uh, it was a is a great little piece of kit, something that no one else on the block had, and I yep. wanted to keep playing it. And so if there was software still coming out, of course I wanted it. I wanted four. When I saw the magazines advertising five, I wanted five. When they advertised six, I wanted six. And I enjoyed them. I got mad when I found out that seven was coming to Super Nintendo. Oh, really? I, I was really? furious. I was like, what? Just keep them coming. <laughs> Are you the, serious? Uh, the, the NES. Yeah, sure. Sure. Bunkus. And I, 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 I greatly enjoyed uh, four, five, and six. Um, as you know looking back i can see how you know the the narratives the stories are pretty ridiculous but like in terms of gameplay and as i was experiencing them as they were coming out uh, Mm -hmm. i was so excited to get them and i was excited to play them and you know i I didn't have a single uh a single bit of disappointment playing through four five and six by any means why should you they're great games yeah totally Um, i I would say with the exception of maybe three or four Okay. There isn't an outright bad Mega Man game. There are great Mega Man games. There are okay Mega Man games, but only about four of them are bad. It's bad, a very sure. consistent series. Yeah, totally. Um, if you have a few more minutes, I have a few more questions. Go I don't know it. if you have a hard stop. Uh, I have to bring up uh, Megafied uh, because it's a really cool project that you worked on. You <laughs> recreated Mega Man One in Super Mario Maker, uh, yeah. and I have a I have a link uh, that has screenshots that I'll share in the show notes uh, great, so that great. people can, can check this out. Um, what what inspired that project? Because it seems like a huge undertaking. Well, so you of course remember the um, Mega Man Universe, right? Yes, yes. The canceled project yeah exactly I, I was excited for that i wanted to play it but then it was canceled uh, due to they, they cited quality concerns but I, I think the real unspoken reason is that once uh, kg nafuna left capcom the upper management had no impetus to keep making games in a series that didn't pull in super big Monster Hunter, Resident Evil, Street Fighter numbers. Sure. So that sort of knocked me on my my behind. But then Nintendo, a few years later, announces Super Mario Maker. 
I was like, well, I love Mega Man, but hey, you know what? I love Mario too, and I've always wanted to make a you know make my own Mario levels use a, a level editor. I never tr- really tooled around with the the freeware editors that they have on inter- on the internet. Like there is a Lunar. Lunar is a very okay. popular Super Mario World uh, level editor. Sure. They're always a, just a tad too complicated for me. Uh, I just didn't feel like learning the ins and outs. But Super Mario Maker, it was nice, easy, simple. And then I thought, well, you know, I kind of really wanted a Mega Man Maker. So, ah, screw it. Let's just make Mega Man levels. And so... <laughs> And uh, I remember at that point when I decided I wanted to make Mega Man levels, um, someone else had already made, uh, okay. make, recreated Mega Man 1 in, in uh, Mario Maker, but they used the Super Mario Brothers 1 style just so they can use the Mega Man Amiibo costume. Sure, yeah. And it was, uh, it, it was okay, it was okay. I, I didn't think it was all that aesthetically pleasing. It was pretty much just the framework without yeah. any extra bells and whistles. And I really wanted to go whole hog. Uh, I wanted to make it nice, colorful, have like great backgrounds and decorations. So I, instead of using Mario 1 style, I used Mario 3. And I just tried to pack it with as much junk as I could. And then after I made those levels, I waited about a year. And then I made four more quote-unquote okay. DLC levels. Two of them, two of the levels are based on Oil Man and Time Man from Powered Up. Okay. And then uh, the other two are the Fortress levels from Mega Man on Game Boy. The first Mega Man Oh, on nice. Game Boy. Awesome. Yeah, I, again, I'll link that up so people can check out the screenshots. Because, again, it, you, you did go a whole hog on it. It looks awesome. <laughs> it looks great. Uh, if Mario Maker were to come to the Switch, do you think you would try to tackle maybe Mega Man 2 or an additional uh, ga- game in the series? Uh, I, I think now that there are there is a, a Mega Man Maker unofficial. Right, yeah. yeah. Yep, yep. I, I don't you're, think you're, I need to. You're getting your fix. Yeah, I think yeah. I get my fix that way. Cool. Uh, so I just um, want to go in a different direction. I have other ideas what uh, of levels I want to make in Mario Maker. I just haven't jumped back into it. One, because I have a whole backlog I need to catch up on. And two, I don't know where the community is right now. Sure. It's, the, the Wii U is out the, out the door. I don't know how yep. many people are playing Mario Maker. I think a, a Switch version with extra tools, extra functionality, and a much more robust community will be... Uh, there would be a more incentive to try something new and fresh. So I'll probably make original Mario levels. Cool. Yeah, totally. So I, I have uh, two final questions then we can wrap things up. Uh, I'm always curious, you know, if you go back to those early days of playing Famicom games, uh, early nineties, is there any old franchises or any old games from that time period that really didn't, last uh it didn't continue throughout the years that you would love to see make a comeback or rephrased games that maybe have made a comeback just not very successfully okay well one of my absolute favorite games of all time is a double dragon 2 mm-hmm. um mainly because it was one of the few games i was able to play with my dad 
he didn't play a lot with me. So it was a great bonding experience between uh, him and me. And, and it's just a fun game. You know, beat up people. It's great. It's got a big 80s attitude. Yeah, it's awesome. And then beyond the NES era, it didn't really evolve. I mean, there were there were two games on Super Nintendo. There's Super Double Dragon, which sort of just like, eh, whatever, just slipped out the door. There was Double Dragon Five, which was a fighting game, had nothing to do with the rest of the series. It had to, it was based on the cartoon that was airing in America at the time. And then aside from that, just there's just like ports, ports, ports until Double Dragon Neon, which is great. Sure. It is a great game, great music, great style. But I just played Double Dragon 4 the other month, and it's terrible. Yeah, I skipped it. It is I, I didn't so even bad. Want to touch it. Yeah. It, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Ah. And it's... How, how dare... How <laughs> dare they put a Roman numeral... They attach a Roman numeral to that thing. I want another sequel by way forward. I want a Double okay. Dragon Neon 2. That's, that's the direction they should be going and make it... Nice. Give it some extra bells and whistles, some new customization yeah. options, more Jake Kaufman music. World can use more Jake Kaufman music. Um, another series, one other series. Um, well, there is zero percent chance that this is ever coming back. But do you remember Power Blade? Well, I, it's funny you say that because it was on the cover of uh one of the issues that i'm about to do an episode on great um, so i i remember it vaguely i remember it seeing it you know in in the uh, movie store as a rental uh, i remember playing it maybe once or twice but i'm gonna go back and i'm gonna research it and then i'm gonna play through the whole thing uh for the first time uh, so i'm actually really excited that's one of the games that and uh um uh metal storm uh, good, two good. games that you know i'm really excited to kind of go back and play yeah, so, well, Power Blade, and uh, there was also a sequel, Power Blade 2. What we got in the States was completely different than what Japan received, which is the game I grew up with. It was called Power okay. Blazer. Awesome. And um, it shared uh, the music, same music, uh, some um, background elements, and some enemies. But other than that, everything was overhauled. The hero has changed in Power Blade, it was this uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger knockoff. Sure. And the game was very non-linear. You had to explore trying to rescue these hostages and getting keys to access other parts of the levels. Uh, Power Blazer was a straight-up Mega Man clone. Oh, cool. The, the hero it was just Mega Man and a black wife beater. And the levels were straight, linear, and it was a little bit janky. They cleaned it up for the states, and they gave uh, the character of that game, Nova, uh, more, no more mobility. He could throw his boomerang in all directions, whereas in Power Blazer, the dude Steve, that's his name, Steve, just throws it straight <laughs> forwards and back. And so if you had to play one of the two, I would recommend Power Blade, but okay. just because it's something that I grew up with, I have a lot of nostalgia for, and I just love Mega Man knockoffs almost as much as Mega Man proper, uh, that's what I would personally go back to. And I would love, it's always been a dream of mine too, because uh, Taito property is a Taito property, 
and it's currently okay. owned by uh, Square Enix. They own all the Taito IPs. I would love to be able to buy that IP from Square sure. Enix. Sure. Just so I can go, okay, now somebody make a new game. Go. Yeah, and, and hey, give it the way forward too. Exactly. They, they seem to be uh, you know, mastering everything they touch. That's awesome. Okay, I'm going to actually go back. I'll play both. I'll play Power Blazer too. All right. Uh, if I can get my hands on it. Um, awesome. So I, I, uh, I'm ready to wrap things up. Uh, I want to thank you for your time. I have one quick question just because it's out of curiosity because it's, it's uh, not every day I get to speak to people who reside in Japan. Right. I, I'm, really, I'm really curious what the retro gaming vibe is like in Japan because I, I know there's with the NES Classic and now the SNES Classic, there just seems to be such so much hype in the States around retro gaming. Uh, is that also being uh, kind of is it super apparent in Japan or has it always it, been there? I'm just it's curious. always been here in Japan. Sure. They have, um, uh, you always hear about, uh, you know, big talking points like honor and respect amongst the Japanese. And that's, that's, that's true. It's not just, uh, you know, things that people out West say it is true that Japanese respect and honor the past. And that extends to everything pop culture included. They really enjoy preserving their past. So you'll find many uh, shops. They call them recycle shops. They're just used goods stores. And they'll have like pre-owned everything. Clothing, uh, toys, music, movies, and video games. There's a place just down the street from me. has a huge retro gaming section going all the way back to the Famicom. There's... Famicom games, Game Boy, Super Famicom, Mega Drive, uh, PC Engine, uh, Dreamcast, everything. And everything is in excellent condition. It's not like going into, into GameStop and finding a, right. a disc with right. scratches up, up and out the wazoo. Sure. Here the discs are pristine, always. Discs will always be pristine. And you can always find uh, an old school cartridge in great quality. They might have jacked up the prices over the years, slowly but surely. They're increasing in price. But they're there. They're there for the taking. And if you want to jump in, I mean, there's no better place to get into old school retro gaming than in Japan. Sure. You do have to go outside of the usual hotspots. A lot of people say, I'm going to go to Akihabara in Tokyo, and I'm going to go to the famous Super Potato. Yep. And Super Potato's got a great selection. Uh, I'm not saying don't visit there, but I am saying shop around a bit because their prices are higher than other places because they know they're a, a tourist destination, so they know they can get away with charging a little bit more. Yeah. So if you're in Tokyo, look around. Find some of the other retro gaming shops and get better deals. Also, just go into other stores that don't specialize in video games specifically, like uh, the recycle shops I told you about. There are chains. There's a chain called Book Off. Okay. Book Off, Hard Off. Uh, it's something off. They're, okay. They go under. They have uh, different names, like Book Off and Hard Off are the ones you want to look for. And uh, they usually sp specialize in books. But they'll also have music, movies, 
and video games. You can find some retro games there as well. And then there are a few other places like the one in my town. It's a store called Mandai Shoten. That's also a chain. It's a very big store. And that has a retro section that rivals a lot of the Akihabara stores that I've seen. So, yeah, just go off the beaten path, I would recommend. Uh, and you are sure to find stuff that's uh, affordable. Yeah, that is awesome. Uh, I really hope to to make it there someday, mm-hmm. <laughs> of course. It's it's on my list for sure. Awesome. Well, uh, Tony, I want to thank you so much. Oh, thank uh, you for having time. me on. I, I really appreciate it. It was a lot of fun uh, just to chat, Nintendo, Famicom, uh, kind of taking that trip down memory lane, the blast from the past. Uh, do you have any final words for any of the, of the uh, Nintendo Power fans out there uh, who are interested to learn more? Yes. Please, please subscribe to Nintendo Force. Join our Patreon. Please. It's a fun magazine. I write for it. Other people write for it. It's great. We have a Super Mario Odyssey issue coming out. It's good. It's going to be great. And I will uh, second that too. Um, It is a fantastic magazine. And as I mentioned earlier, just to feel a printed magazine uh, once again, dedicated to Nintendo is, is, it's a really nice thing. It's fun. Uh, And the content is fantastic. It's a lot better uh, than just, you know, the uh, random phoned in stuff that you see on the internet every single day. (laughs) Uh, There's a lot of great internet writing uh, by, by by all means. And comics. They have, uh, we have, um, if you are familiar with Brawl and the Family, Matthew Toronto, yep. he he still makes comics for our magazine and, and posters and posters. Yeah, we got posters, posters by yep. um, uh, our big poster guy is Thor Thorvaldson. He awesome. he does amazing work. And then we've also got uh, Chris Carter, Jonathan Holmes from Destructoid. We've got uh, um, Kevin Cassidy from Go Nintendo. Uh, we have a whole bunch of guys. Lucas Thomas, our editor-in-chief, works at IGN. He's got a, a beard that could rival uh, <laughs> rival Kevin's from Go Nintendo's. Um, yeah, a bunch, of, a bunch of cool cats, a whole bunch of others that I, I failed to mention. But yeah, it's a, it's a nice crew. It's a nice family. Yeah, totally. I'll link that up in the show notes to, uh, to the site and also to Patreon too. And I'll encourage uh, listeners really to just keep supporting. Uh, but again, I, w- I want to thank you. Uh, is there a good place for people to follow you on the internet? Uh, you can just, uh, I don't use Twitter as much, but I'm still on Facebook. So you can join me on cool. Facebook. I've got, uh, the, the name is mega strike M E G A S T R Y K E. Awesome. Yeah. And we'll link that up as well. Uh, I'm off to bed. Uh, it is, uh, it is the morning where you are. Uh, it is the evening where I am. So again, I'll, uh, it's only, uh, it's only 11. What are you talking about? That's true. That's true. Well, I have a newborn, so, you know, oh. I have to get to bed as oh, early as possible because I, of course, I never you'll, you'll know. wake up at three in the morning. Yep. I, I have no idea when I'll be waking up tonight. Uh, it could be an hour from now. It could be three, uh, it could be four or five. Who knows? Uh, but again, thanks. I really appreciate this. And, uh, We'll definitely, maybe we'll chat uh, later if you're interested when Mega Man 4 rolls around. Oh, go uh, for it. Yeah. Another, I, I another love deep to. dive into the Mega Man series. Awesome. Well, thanks again, and uh, I'll talk to you soon. All right. Take care, man. So I want to say thanks again to Tony for dropping on the show. Uh, super appreciate it. I uh, had a lot of fun. Hopefully, we can bring you back at some point uh, and continue this conversation about Mega Man, uh, Mega Man 4, any other games. Uh, could be a lot of fun. 
Uh, check out the show notes for any links that we mentioned and be sure to follow him on social media. Uh, but that's going to wrap up today's episode. I really hope that you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, feel free to subscribe to the show so that you never miss a beat. We have episodes for Powerblade, Vice Project Doom, Battletoads, Robin Hood. There's a lot of great games that we'll be featuring in the coming weeks. I also have a really exciting interview. Uh, this was a lot of fun. Uh, it's a podcaster that I've been listening to for years and years and years. Uh, he's been doing this for a long time. I was excited that he was able to come on the show. And I'm not going to mention who it is, uh, but I will reveal that in a couple of weeks. And I'm super, super pumped uh, to put that together. I want to thank you so much for your time and attention. And as always, keep on playing with power.